road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Hey everybody and welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Join me, William Miller, as I travel the country talking to manufacturers of all types about their trials, tribulations, and triumphs in the industry. This show is brought to you by Koganay International America, Inc. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Where's Willie podcast. I am your host, William Miller. Don't forget to jump over to Podbean, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review of my show so I can work to give you more of what you want to hear in the world of manufacturing, leadership, and everyday life. Again, welcome to the Where's Willie podcast, sponsored by Kogan A, International America, Inc., a global manufacturer of more than 512,000 components that help miniaturize every device, machine, robotic, and automated process in every single industry of manufacturing. Today on the Where's Willie Show, my travels take me to Minneapolis, Minnesota. My guest today is Sonny Hahn, founder and CEO of Fulcrum. Sonny learned how to code from his software engineer mother starting at seven years old. His family didn't have much money, so he taught himself to write his own games as a child. After studying engineering, Sonny used his business acumen to help struggling manufacturers during the recession. In the last 15 years, he's toured, implemented, written for, and helped operate hundreds of mid-sized manufacturers around the world. In his spare time, he imports equipment and ingredients from Japan to be the best amateur sushi chef he can be. Sonny recently returned from a three-week trip to Japan where he spent time visiting fish markets with world-renowned sushi chefs to hone his craft. Sonny Han, I welcome you to the Where's Willie podcast show. And before we get started, I have to tell you, you're already one of my favorite guests because Kogane is a privately owned Tokyo-based Japanese company. And I feel that the Japanese culture, even though I, of course, love sushi, has completely changed my life 10 years ago. So I'm excited to know that you are also somebody that appreciates and loves the Japanese culture. So I want to thank you for moving up the ranks to become one of my favorite guests already and just say welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show and glad I'm at the top of your list. <laughs> I, awesome. I like Japanese culture because it's so hard to get into it, right? right? I mean, there's a lot of barriers. There's a lot of cultural nuance. You have to learn things. It's It's almost as if it's like a game that you have to win just to get access to different parts of things, right? So 100%. I guess, you know, to start with the show, for all of our listeners, I I like to always intro for every guest to kind of talk about your company. So your company is Fulcrum. So if you would, just for our listeners, who is Fulcrum? We are a technology company that's trying to apply all sorts of new technology innovations to manufacturing specifically. We want to connect manufacturers together. We want to automate them. We want to use machine learning and AI to solve really difficult problems that haven't been able to be solved before. We want the most important parts of the manufacturing supply chain to have access to the best technology that's easily implementable, easily usable, and will have real results for them. So the manufacturing industry has really been the beneficiary of of lots of technology advancements from automation, CNC machining, vision systems, early MES and MRP systems, We want to bundle all of that innovation together and connect it so that instead of doing data entry, instead of manually solving problems that are difficult, we have machinists and manufacturers focusing on what they know how to do best, making really good stuff so that the rest of the world can benefit from that. Awesome. So I guess then from a customer standpoint, you know, who would be an ideal customer for Fulcrum? 
somebody who has a smaller manufacturer that has grown to a level where the problems are, are complex. Certainly our software can benefit every manufacturer, but the really small ones, typically the problems are, are solvable on whiteboards and, and in their own heads. When a manufacturer gets around that 10 plus employee mark is really when they start to have lots of benefit from using our software. On the flip side, we work with some multinational companies with lots of subsidiaries and, and different entities, but our real kind of focus is that $2 million to $50 million manufacturer or some functional unit within a larger group that's that size. We don't really do much work in food or in pharmaceuticals, but outside of those, we want to make sure that our software is really good, highly customizable, but well-maintained for just about every manufacturing niche. Okay. So I understand. So, you know, you kind of gave me the 30,000 foot level, you know, now understanding, you know, with the software, you know, specifically is your software all encompassing? Is it like limited to just ERP or MRP systems? Or I guess what is the software capability or, you know, the hot buttons or heartburns that customer would have? Like, so if I'm running a small manufacturing company and I'm being challenged with growing too fast or having some downtime, et cetera. How would your software then be able to help a company like me? Yeah, we our function our software system handles just about everything a shop could want handled from scheduling to quoting to invoicing and purchase orders and vendors and quality management systems and inventory. We do inventory value calculation, we do receivables and payables, but we don't actually do any of the like GL entries or depreciation, none of the actual core accounting. We integrate with QuickBooks and Zero and, and Peachtree and a few other systems that, that are very, very common. We integrate with other CRMs as well, but we focus on kind of everything in between. So if a customer of ours is wondering if their quoting is actually accurate, if they have a, a spreadsheet typically that they've been using for years, but the speed of change is getting a little too fast, one of the big benefits is having all the data that's in our system automatically connect and change other things in the system. So let's say that your shop is getting more efficient. We can automatically connect that back to the quoting process right away. We can tell you if your quotes actually had production that was close. We can let you know what you should do to tweak your pricing and efficiency to win more of the market. We want to make every aspect of the manufacturer's business as dynamic and rich as possible. Some of our customers have issues with uh, throughput. If we know enough about their business and we have enough data in the system, we can help them reorganize their schedule, help them auto-schedule and reschedule things using heuristic algorithms and, and machine learning to really improve throughput. And if we can do 30% more work with the same number of shifts, number of employees, number of, of machines, well, certainly that'll drive profitability as well as accelerate things out the door. So we imagine a shop that's very connected, very automated. Everything is paperless, directly entered in the system. Quality is, is literally data and operationally alongside production, and everything's tied together and, and operates in sync instead of people kind of struggling to put data in, print stuff out, write stuff on paper, put it back in, not really know what's going on. And, and what, what that creates right now is kind of a one to four week lock window, if you will, where once we've set the schedule, once we know what's on the shop floor, we really can't change anything because we're too afraid of messing with it. And really that's where a lot of the opportunity is. So Sonny, you know, and this is going to just, I want to get into some, you know, of our day-to-day -day challenges, right? Like some of the things that I see as being a manufacturer of hardware or equipment, 
And I think there's a lot of commonality in some of the challenges that you and I had both seen. So, you know, you had mentioned, or at least I learned in your bio, right, you've been to Japan. One of the mm-hmm. things that I've kind of pontificated about was here in the Americas and born and raised here in Southwest Michigan. I love America. Uh, this is my place. I do argue or I challenge in the world of manufacturing. It just seems that the adoption is so slow, whether it's OpEx, CapEx, it's labor, it's IT. But the challenge I keep going back to is, you know, because I've seen it, right, in Japan, based on their history, small geographic size, automation, production, they are so efficient and to me, so much more advanced than here we are in the Americas, could be real estate, could be this is the way we've always done it. So for me to get companies, not so much to sell them our product, right? Because I work with engineers and like you, it's gotta be results-based. So you really can't BS anybody. You know, they're gonna say, give me 10 samples, we'll test it and try to break it. And if yours survives over the competitors, we're using you, right? Because it's all about quality, operational excellence, et cetera. That being said, There's still this, I don't want to say stigma, but it just seems that in our industry, as you look at others, we are very slow to adopt or embrace technology. And for me, I don't call it a fear, but the technology or the capability, like some of the things that Fulcrum can provide, it's happening so fast and so big. So I guess, why do you feel that adoption, you know, of technology is so slow in manufacturing? I mean, that's a, a great question and something that's that's been puzzling me for a long time. But the what I've seen is that manufacturing isn't easy. I mean, it's not the hardest thing that humans can do. But if you just look at the the development and the evolution in Japan, you know, from kind of right after World War II until now or China in the last 30 years, the growth in quality, the growth in productivity, the growth in scalability that growth itself kind of quantifies just how hard manufacturing can be, right? Yeah. Especially at any level of scale. So because it's hard and because you can mess up and because messing up means you lose business and you lose relationships and you lose your business potentially, I think that breeds this sense of cynicism, right? It, cynicism isn't really punished. If we're skeptical about something and it fails, we get to say, ha, it failed, right? right. But if we're skeptical about something and it doesn't fail, there isn't this moment where we say, oh, that was actually a good idea. I shouldn't have been skeptical about it. So I think (laughs) from a cultural standpoint, there's this, all this pain that used to exist and we're over it. We're we're, we're good at it. We, we don't have issues like we used to with a lot of things, right? But we get, we get punished a lot for it, right? And, and the person that gets punished is, is not always the person that is responsible for it. So we're just really suspicious and really careful all the time. There's recalls of stuff all the time in the automotive industry. There's, there's liability. There's, there's mistakes can, can cost lives, right? So there's a, a level of seriousness and sobriety that I think contributes to it. I think also there's just been a lot of stuff that hasn't worked. A lot of people that have made false claims and things just didn't work out. So I think those two factors combined really drive this kind of era of slow adoption that we felt. And if you look historically, manufacturing actually went through a really big period of adoption, right? From CNC machines and automation to MRP systems and MES systems, kind of that late 70s, early 80s until early 90s period. There's a ton of stuff that happened, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe potentially one theory is that there's just 
kind of a fatigue that still exists. Like the generation that's in their 50s and 60s right now, they've kind of hung their hat. They they did their kind of swan song of adopting technology, and they've been riding that for the last 20 or 30 years. My theory, my my hypothesis, my hope is that this next generation of manufacturing employees and executives, you know, will have a similar appetite for another boost in technology adoption. So I agree with you a thousand percent. And I think that we're getting very, very close. It's like, so I'm a dad of two kids and I tell my kids, I'm like, guys, daddy's in a very, very good spot because the technology is going to force the industry to change. So in my world, right, of being a, a parts supplier, I hear a lot of the terms finally Finally, here in the Americas, like smart manufacturing, IIoT, Industry 4.0, and it's the first time that people are actually learning, number one, what these acronyms mean, and then two, this idea or concept of networked operational and monitoring. You know, we've seen it like with, you know, ride shares or Uber, et cetera, and now people are going, oh, shit. We can do this in manufacturing now. Now we can have a machine that has, you know, constant monitoring with predictive maintenance and, hey, you know, partnering with Kogane, they have the technology there to kind of support us to make these things run, you know, with greater efficiency. Because in manufacturing, you know, the biggest cancer is what? Downtime, right? Operational wasted capacity. So, you know, when you look at manufacturing then, in agreement kind of to piggyback now what we were just saying about the adoption. Would you agree that, you know, manufacturing today is kind of like that pre-internet network group and we are, you and me, are getting very close to that switch happening and what is that going to look like when that changes? Yeah, that connectivity is the soul of who we are as a company. It's going to happen. These previously unconnected shops, these supply chains that are very fragmented, very kind of relate, like old school relationship based, they will evolve. That is the future. I, I can't imagine a future where that isn't the case. And right now, just like before Uber, and that's maybe not the, the best example, but before kind of this sharing economy started to happen, we had a lot of cars that were sitting idle, a lot of people that were sitting idle for some time and had nothing to do and are now driving a car and driving other people around. We used to have restaurants that were idle that are now making food to be delivered to other people that otherwise don't have the time to go out to eat. We have servers that used to, you have to buy a whole server for yourself. Now you can rent one-tenth of one, right? And what that's done is it's allowed people to start more companies, to create more apps, to do more things. The productivity in general has increased because we have all this shared capacity. And, and I see this all the time. I, I, I look at all sorts of different manufacturers and one person's busy season is another person's slow season. And it just has to do with which OEMs are working with, which customers they have, which vendors they have. And while one shop is, is too busy and late on all their orders, another shop is sitting idle and, and below break even. So it's scary, right? It's scary to think about maybe losing customers because I'm, I'm, I'm being compared to other people. It, yeah. It's exposing me to everybody else. It's scary to think, well, that means that my total revenue is going to go down because that busy season where I'm behind on stuff, that's kind of where I make the most of, of my revenue and money, right? But if you think about it, that has never been the case. When we connect capacities together, everybody does more. And that fear is, I, I empathize with it a ton, right? But we got to get over it in order to get to the future. Agree a thousand percent. So again, that coming on board of seeing this switch about to happen, 
we have, you know, reshoring or re-onshoring, you know, production is now, you know, coming back as it was far away. Now it's coming back here. What are your thoughts on that as far as, you know, reshoring or production moving back to here in the Americas as like, for example, and let me just, I want to paint the picture for our listeners now. So Kogane, privately owned Japanese company, 85 years in business, just came here to North America in 2015. So for us here, nobody knows our name. However, the competitors that we go against, they've been selling on margin, 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 margin. And you know as well as I do that sales revenue is just vanity. It's net income. So we're Kogane, you know, we're not paying for big ads. We're not selling low-hanging fruit or commodities or drop-in replacements. That's never been our MO. We focused on technology, miniaturization, really having design be what stays consistent. And so we're, what we're seeing now is the people that were focused on just, again, that grandpa's you know club mentality of this is the way we've always done it. We had these suppliers. We did a handshake in 1962. Oh, wait. If we buy this Kogane product, it has double the life cycle and it's the same price. What are we going to do? Right. So we're seeing this transition happen. You know, I am seeing companies like you that can, I mean, it just, it gives me goosebumps because if you look at it, like, let's paint this picture. You got a CNC company, 15 employees. They've got two outside salespeople. They're driving around Minneapolis. That their machine operational time capacity is, let's say, 60%. Because I'm excited and I got goosebumps, explain to the listeners, if this company partners with Fulcrum, can you take their capacity at 60% operational and increase it? And then how would you do that? Yeah, we, we certainly have for literally every single one of the customers that are working with our software right now. And it's both a combination of little things, small improvements, 5% here, 10% there, 12% there, sure. automatic scheduling that helps improve reducing downtime, having better instructions that are digitally available so you can see stuff so there's less scrap, there's less rework, being able to have data available so that when you do get busy, it isn't optional to kind of scan the inventory that you receive in so that we have kind of full auditability all the way through, and really to have live feedback in cutting that tie where I put data in, I do the work, somebody else pulls a report, looks at some stuff, and then comes and yell at me. I get to see the results of my actions and self-reinforce, and that has an unbelievable power, right? Um, one thing that we're seeing here, at least in the United States, is that the number of manufacturing employees on the shop floor that have a associate's or bachelor's level education is rising dramatically. I don't know the exact numbers, but I believe it's in the last 15, 20 years, it's gone from single-digit percentages to 30 or 40%. And so we have smarter individuals and yet our software and our processes are catered towards what the workforce was like 30 years ago, right? So just retooling, giving more credit to the operators, allowing them to function at a higher level has dramatically improved the operations of a lot of our customers that are working with our system. So doing that, increasing that that just a little bit, 20%, 30% here, 10, 10% throughput, 20% efficiency, 15% less rework and, and scrap, all that adds up to now we're starting to be competitive to a manufacturer that might be overseas, not because they have some sort of capability that we don't have here in the U.S., but just because they're able to produce at a lower cost from a labor standpoint. 
And if you factor in the cost of shipping everything and all the, the carbon emissions that happen there and, and things like that, we, we actually have the ability to, to kind of reshore stuff much faster and, and give a competitive advantage pretty quickly. So now I don't want you to think that I'm against global trade and things like that. The U.S., I think, exports almost half a trillion dollars worth of stuff in terms of uh, like equipment and, and things like that. There's there's things that we do here that other people can't do overseas and, and vice versa. So that's going to remain the same and, and people are going to innovate all over the world and we're going to have products that we ship back and forth. But if we can produce things that we need here, here, and we have the capacity to do so, it's just in everybody's interest. Those other countries can produce stuff for themselves or they can produce stuff for us that only they can do. And that inefficiency is really what I'm talking about, eliminating to generate that reshoring. You know, and when we talk about too, and you hit the nail on the head, a lot of people, you know, they ask me, they say, so if at Coconut you're not selling, you know, what are you doing? And I said, and I'm serious. And I said it when I said it earlier, I cannot sell anything. Even though I'm very, very biased, and I think that Coganet makes the highest quality products, any literature or anything that I hand to an engineer with our logo on it, and I say, well, this is from our factory, this is our specs, engineers, and not out of disrespect, they roll their eyes and they go, well, that ain't here. <laughs> We're going to test it here in our ambient environment and in our side-loaded operation, and we'll tell you if it's good here. So my point is... Because I, I don't spend time selling Kogane's products because everything just gets tested, right? What I spend time doing, and I'm betting that you do the same, I know our capabilities. What I know that a lot of people don't know is why we focus on miniaturization. What's the value of reducing a workflow from 80 yards with distance? So you got bill of material starting on the conveyor, 80 yards down the way, you got a finished product. I talk about how cost, operational control, monitoring can be improved if we take that same workflow with miniaturized components and cut it in half. So now you've got your bill of material starting at the conveyor and you've got a finished product 20 yards distance. You've reduced your manufacturing footprint mm -hmm. with technology it's even more imperative because we're now emerging into this mechatronics concept. So, you know, back in the day of, like you said, grandma and grandpa eating donuts on the assembly line, manual workstations, those are gone. And people want to punish us or you because, well, you're getting rid of jobs. No, we're not. What we're doing is we're explaining to you, you have to be educated. Here's the new job and all things can be learned. And so for me, much of my time is explaining to people, hey, how do our things work? And then it's up to them to, again, still take the product and test it. And I would bet, too, if I wanted to come to Fulcrum and say, okay, yeah, we're having some capacity issues. We want to, you know, improve our production. You have to first understand what have they been doing. Then you have to explain to them to get to this level, here's what needs to happen. And I just feel that there's a lot of teaching that happens. So I guess, would you agree that with most of your customers, you're more consulting and educating rather than just telling them how great Fulcrum is and how you're going to change their life by them signing with you? Yeah, absolutely. And one of our philosophies is that we don't want our customers to have to change their the good parts of their business process to use our system. 
which has been the case with other software that's like ours, uh, legacy yeah. systems. And and it's that's not a disparaging comment to other systems that are out there. No. If you think about it, in the past, it had to be like that, right? And, and a lot of these systems were built in the early 90s and, and mid-90s. There was just no – the technology just wasn't there. But we have a lot of stuff that's happened in the last 10 years that's allowed us to have – applications like Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat that allow us to both have an experience that's very personalized for us, but fundamentally still a shared code base so that we don't have this huge cost in, in maintaining a custom product for everybody, right? That's really what we strive for. It's learning about them, having as much empathy towards what makes you special, what's your competitive advantage, but where are things that maybe you don't even see that you could do that we know because we've seen so many different companies, because our system is so different and so new, what could actually drive kind of paradigm and fundamental level changes in your company? So it is a very collaborative process. We don't want to smother them, but we also don't want to not advocate for things that we know will absolutely drive them into the future. So, Sonny, when we talk about the future, what is the future for Fulcrum? Fulcrum will connect businesses together. That That is the real benefit, right? When you look at companies like like Tesla or like Apple, there's a lot of consumer-based products that, that have a, a very similar kind of, at the surface level, seems like competing ongoing strategies. But Tesla really wants to change the way that, that fuel works, right? We, we want to use electric vehicles and electrify all the cars and transportation mo- modes that are out there. To do that, though, you could build an okay car or you could build a kick-ass car. Right. And that's very similar to what, what we're trying to do. We want to connect businesses together. But really, the thing that is necessary to do that that doesn't exist yet is a kick-ass software platform that allows you to do that operationally. And as a byproduct, because it's fundamentally different, it'll allow for that connectivity. The technology that most legacy systems are on right now doesn't even allow for the connectivity that we want. They just were never engineered for that, right? They're engineered for being installed on some server that's in some closet somewhere inside your business that's not connected anywhere. And moving them to the cloud, whatever the process is, is just not enough, right? So not only do we need to make our underlying platform connectable, secure, private, um, and very, very have with really high integrity. We also need to make it super awesome so that as you use it, even without the connectivity, it is the best platform out there. Uh, the people who believe in Tesla's long-term mission are certainly customers of theirs, but they would certainly have far fewer customers if it wasn't also a great car to drive, right? Very similar to us. Fulcrum is an incredible operating system to use for your business, but it will also give you the ability to connect in the future very soon with as many other manufacturers that you work with within your supply chain so that you don't have materials sitting around for three weeks because you didn't know that your powder coater was actually earlier than, than later, or your schedule is completely invalidated because your anodizer is actually way slower than you thought. Having that connectivity will just make everything flow better. And Again, like we talked about earlier, there's a fear, right? I don't want my customers to know that I'm late or that I'm early or whatever it may be. But we've got to get over that. And when they do know, just like when trucking companies started implementing pro numbers or, or, or tracking numbers for FedEx and UPS, there's a lot of this feeling of exposure. But once it's normalized and this data is shared, just imagine how much more efficient the entire system is. And that's what Fulcrum is going to allow the yeah, economy to do. Transparency is everything. 
Sonny, if people want to learn more about Fulcrum, do you guys have a website? Fulcrumpro.com is the best way to, to see what we have and, and what we're doing. And if you want to email me directly, my email is sunny, like the weather, S-U-N-N-Y at fulcrumpro.com. And at this point in time, at least, I welcome any inquiries and, and, and any emails into my inbox, and I'll reply to you as soon as I can. So, Are you guys on social media? We are. We are both on Facebook and Instagram, and you can find those links on our website. Sonny, I'm telling you, just like, you know, the conversations that we had prior to the show, you are a very smart individual, and I'm very happy that I have met you, and I would expect that I'm going to request to have you back on a future podcast where maybe we kind of discuss maybe something specific in, you know, some of the solutions that you provide, just because, again, the more we move forward, the more technology cannot be ignored, and transparency, it's either you're going to be transparent, and then you're going to grow, or you're not going to be transparent and stay the same old way, and then you won't exist. So I'm really excited to have you know all of our listeners connect with you. I think that you can provide a lot of education to a lot of people, and you know I look forward to having you on the show again in the future. And thanks for doing what you do, Willie. The manufacturing industry and, and society is mostly disconnected. And so anything that can be done, especially high quality content like that's on your show, to connect people, to get people to talk about things, to to have more of a word of mouth community is that will both help adoption, but also help people from feeling that they're the only ones that are out there. There's a million plus manufacturers in the United States alone. I would be willing to wager that most manufacturers don't even know, you know, a few dozen companies that they talk to on a regular basis. So we got to change that too. Thank you, Sonny. So to all of our listeners, Sonny Han, find him, connect with him. It will help you. Fulcrumpro.com. Learn about what Fulcrum can do. I'm telling you, technology is changing manufacturing. This is no longer grandpa's industry. Get to know Fulcrum. Get to know Sonny. Thank you all for tuning in to this podcast. If you are in manufacturing and you have a story you want to share and to be a guest of the show, the process is simple. Please go to Podcast.com and you can request to be a guest of the show. We'll provide you a guest registration form and request that you return the form completed with your availability. All guests are free to the show, and we look forward to having you on the show to share your story with our listeners. I thank all of you so much. Sunny Han, thank you so much for representing Fulcrum and sharing your story and expertise about your company. Thank you so much. Thank you, Willie. Thank you for tuning in to the Where's Willie Show. For more information on future shows, Please visit Where'sWillyPodcast.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Where's Willie Podcast and on Twitter at Where's Willie POD. Thank you all so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.